Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of things happened over the weekend and this past couple of days in the sports row. So there's a lot we got to get to, and let's hop straight into this. So the first off, first topic of the day we're going to be talking about is some news that happened throughout this week. And the first one I want to talk about is Coach Mike Leach. If you guys don't know who he is, he was the head coach at Mississippi State as long as well as Texas Tech and Washington State. He sadly passed away earlier this morning uh, due to a heart attack. I believe earlier in the week he had to go straight into the hospital. It was a very big medical emergency. He was in critical condition and today they announced that he passed away. So rest in peace to coach Mike Leach. He was a very unique personality to see if you ever see any of his post-game interviews or anything like that. So he was definitely a very unique man. And some kind of memories that I remember of Coach Mike Leach, he was actually part of the Texas Tech team that was, I believe, top five or uh, in the country at one point with Graham Harrell, uh, Michael Crabtree, and all those guys on that offense. They actually, he was part of the team that upset uh, UT when they were number one in the nation when they had Colt McCoy there. And it was the famous uh, catch with Michael Crabtree when he caught it inbounds to score the game-winning touchdown. They knocked over the goalpost at Texas Tech. It was one, probably one of the most wild events that ever happened uh, at Texas Tech at that point. And it's all over uh, Lubbock with pictures, autographs, pictures of Crabtree doing that. Mike Leach getting, uh, I believe he got Gatorade thrown on him for the big upset. You know, all the Tech fans storming the field. So it was a crazy moment to see. And it's very hard to hear that he recently passed away at 61 years of age, which honestly is not very old uh, now in this time of age, especially since, you know, events, medicine and everything. So it is very sad to hear that he did abruptly just pass away, you know, hearts out to his family and also the uh, Mississippi State. I mean, they just randomly lost their coach. So, you know, hearts out to those guys. I know it's probably going to be a very difficult time for them, especially for the players that were really close to Mike Leach. So hearts out to all of y'all. The next thing I wanted to talk about, staying kind of in the college realm, that was very shocking that happened recently, is uh, Coach Chris Beard, the head coach of the men's uh, basketball co- uh, basketball team at the University of Texas, was recently arrested uh, on counts of a charge. He's, he's getting charged with a third-degree felony, I believe. And so the story happened was that a lady called the uh, police and reported like he was being violent, throwing her around. There was a bunch of bruises everywhere around her. He got really violent. So obviously they caught wind of it and they arrested him. And now they're just waiting to see. I know the University of Texas had just released what they're planning to do with Coach Beard. I believe right now he is um, currently suspended indefinitely until further notice. So I'm sure the University of Texas is just trying to take the right precautions before they, I believe they announced they're gonna fire him. I think this is probably gonna be the first steps to leading him to be fired like and right now I don't really know the real specifics about what really happened there I know they're still trying to figure all that out that's just stuff that I've heard that's been reported but for sure uh, the University of Texas did announce that he will be suspended indefinitely so now I believe the assistant coach uh, Brandon Chappelle is gonna have to take over the team for a while and I feel bad for the UT players because now they're out of it. their head coach who they believed in and obviously UT you know, gave them so much money to come change the basketball culture there in Austin. And now they got to go through the rest of the, probably the rest of the season without him and into the future. So I definitely think that's going to be an interesting development going going into the season, especially going later on. I know UT's been doing really well 
uh, up to this point in the season. But we're just gonna we're gonna have to wait and see what happens with Coach Beard and uh, the UT basketball players. Now, kind of moving on over to the NFL news, uh, Kyler Murray has torn his HCL and he's gonna be out for the rest of the season, and that's a real big blow to the Arizona Cardinals because they are losing their $230 million quarterback that they're paying for over five years. And that is a big loss to the Arizona Cardinals because they saw what they are, are without Kyler Murray. With Cole McCoy leading, obviously, it's a really big different offense, and you can just tell they're two different athletes. Cole McCoy is more of a try-to-be-in-the-pocket passer. Kyler Murray has the athleticism to run around the field. He looks like he's just playing backyard football. But now with him gone for the rest of the season, there's going to be a lot of questions about his future. And possibly the Cardinals might regret giving him all that money. Because if you guys don't remember, earlier this uh, preseason, you know, he was having the holdout. He, you know, kind of pulled some petty cards. He deleted Arizona from his Instagram. All the photos he had affiliating himself with the organization, unfollowed them just to get a contract. And... I still stand behind that Deshaun Watson's contract that he got with the Cleveland Browns is probably what's going to lead to more of these happening with the with the uh, with more quarterbacks in the league. Maybe also Lamar Jackson, but we'll get to Lamar uh, later, and hopefully he gets better too. But Kyler Murray, he he has his money. He got the bag, and there's no denying that. But now with a torn ACL, and we've seen what it can do to players that have like those tears. He's not going to be the same quarterback. He's just not. Because we've seen it with Odell Beckham and other great athletes out there that tear their ACLs. They're going to be very different. It's going to be hard, especially all the hard cuts that they that he does as a player and all the different kinds of misdirections, throwing off his back foot. He's going to need that knee. But now that it's torn, he may have to rethink about how he's going to go about the game. It's already at a bit, He's already a big disadvantage because of his height. Uh, compared to the offensive line, obviously they have to do a lot more shotgun plays so he can see over the the offensive linemen so he can kind of get the reading of it. And we're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. But I think this is going to put Kyler's future in the jeopardy, honestly. But not only does he put himself in jeopardy, he puts Cliff Kingsbury in the problem too. And here's why. Cliff Kingsbury came in and he wanted Kyler Murray. And it was evident when he was the head coach at Texas Tech University as well. He wanted Kyler Murray. He was trying to recruit Kyler Murray to come to Texas Tech, coming straight out of Allen High School whenever he was Gatorade Player of the Year. He was, uh, I believe he was projected the best player in Texas at the time. And then I, then he went to A&M and then transferred to Oklahoma. And obviously, you know, the stars and the stars and the moon aligned and boom, he got him in the first round. He got him in the first round and to be his quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. And now with how bumpy the season has been. Kyler Murray's health is now an issue, and they just paid him a ton of money. Now he's putting now he's putting Cliff Kingsbury in the problem because now Cliff Kingsbury has to figure out, well, how am I going to dig myself out of the hole after we were pleading to get this guy his contract and all his money, but now I'm in the hot seat. Now I got to figure out what I got to do because now my job's in jeopardy. Now, earlier today, I did hear uh, somebody talk about that about how they should fire Cliff Kingsbury because of what's going on. And I don't think so just because they haven't had the complete team. Either somebody was injured or somebody was out. Earlier this season, Kyler Murray did not have DeAndre Hopkins because of uh, his six-game suspension. Then he comes back. Kyler Murray got hurt in a little bit in the middle of the season, and now he's out for the rest of the season. So 
the Arizona Cardinals are just are just tossing and turning right now. And I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is the biggest problem. I know that a lot of people see Kyler Murray as well as an individual as an independent person. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't get the word out. He's very he's a very independent guy. He kind of cares about himself. I know Patrick Peterson, I believe a while back, said on his podcast that he's, he just cares about himself. And I see something in the comments that he's a better COD player than he is a football player. I, I could agree with that because, I mean, spends all his time playing COD. It's wondering why. And also another thing with that is that with his future is with the contract negotiations. As they put in the contract that he has to study the plays and test them. Obviously, they, got, they took that stipulation away after it got released to the public. And that's very embarrassing. But honestly, I don't see anything wrong with it because if he can pick up the game like that, he really shouldn't be having an issue right about now. Now, if it was the fact that they were they were having losing seasons every year, I think then yes, that that is about time to let Cliff Kingsbury go. But when Cliff Kingsbury became the head coach, they have progressively got better. He made it to the playoffs. I believe somebody compared him to Matt Rule. And I said, no, that's oblivious. Matt Rule was not a good coach. He was a good college coach. I'll give him that. He, you know, brought back up Temple and Baylor, but he was not an NFL coach. And we clearly saw that after the whole dysfunction, dysfunctional breakup with him and the Carolina Panthers. But I wouldn't go as far as Cliff Kingsbury as like Matt Rule because Matt Rule wasn't a good NFL coach. We see that Cliff Kingsbury can coach in the NFL. If anything, he's a good offensive coordinator at worst. Now, do I agree Cliff Kingsbury should have probably got the head coaching job? Probably not. I think I would have gotten more offensive coordinator because he's a really good offensive mind. But I wouldn't say he's he's that front of the problem. But now with Kyler, Kyler Murray being out, now now Cliff Kingsbury is going to have to be put in the hot seat because we're, he doesn't have his quarterback. Now they're probably not going to do well and they may not get in the playoffs. I don't honestly don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think they're about done. Uh, they can try, but I don't know how far Colt McCoy is going to get you. He's a journeyman. He's always going to be a backup. He's a good backup, but he's not going to get you into the playoffs like Kyler Murray probably would. And, you know, speedy recovery to him, but I'm sorry, Arizona fans, that your season's probably done. And Kyler Murray is going to be out. Like I said, hopefully his ACL is, is going to be repaired. He's going to be ready for next season. But I think the Carolina, not the Carolina Panthers, the Cardinals need to reevaluate themselves. They need to look at each other, go into the go into those business meetings, and go, okay, what do we need to change? Do we need to fire Cliff Kingsbury? Do we need to get other players? Do we need to cut some players? Do we need to possibly go talk to Kyler Murray about his contract? I don't know what the Cardinals have to do right now, but if they're going to want to save their season or save possibly the future and how much money they're investing in Kyler Murray, they're going to have to go have those tough conversations going into next season. Now, lastly, on some news. T.Y. Hilton signs with the Dallas Cowboys. Now, before I get uh, get kind of in-depth about what this means about Odell, I want to personally say as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'm very excited about T.Y. Hilton coming in just because from what it seems, uh, Mike McCarthy may not trust the young receiving core that he brought in from the draft, uh, such as Jalen Tolpert, the rookie third-round pick out of Georgia State. It seems like he's not very trusting in him. It seems that you know they don't think he's ready and after seeing James Washington last week against the Texans, I don't think he's ready either. He's just been out of the game. Uh, he was dealing with injuries. T.Y. Hilton was a free agent waiting to get a phone call. And what I like about this signing is that T.Y. Hilton is ready to go. He is ready to play. And I'll get to Odell Beckham with that statement as well in a minute. But with T.Y. Hilton coming in, he was a great wide receiver in his prime. And now he's had some injuries in the past, and now it's kind of haunting him now. It's why he was a free agent. It's why the Colts didn't resign him. 
but he's not a bad wide receiver. He's a guy that can get you a play when you need it. We don't need him to be the star uh, wide receiver one that he was with Indianapolis because we have C.D. Lamb for that. We have Michael Gallup is a good number two. He's getting his confidence back. He's, uh, he's getting a little confident in his speed, his catching abilities, and he's developing well now late in the season, which is exactly what everyone was hoping for. But now with T.Y. Hilton coming in, it adds a good third or fourth wide receiver, depending on Noah Brown, on what where they're going to place him with Noah Brown, because obviously Noah, Noah Brown had a good game uh, this past week, and he's had some pretty good games whenever Michael Gallup was hurt. But now with T.Y. Hilton coming in, I think it's going to help bring more veteran uh, veterans to the locker room. He's going to help out the young receiving core, maybe help out Noah Brown a little bit more. But T.Y. Hilton is ready to play now, and that's exactly what the Cowboys need if they want a little more help or just to kind of be able to make that final push through the playoffs. Now, I want to get to Odell. And what does this mean about Odell Beckham Jr.? Does this hurt the Dallas Cowboys getting Odell Beckham? I do not think so. And here's why. Odell Beckham, when it, uh, whenever he was first interested in the Dallas Cowboys and everyone's trying to play the Odell Beckham sweepstakes, as a third-party Dallas Cowboys fan, I was under the impression he's ready to go. I was under the impression that he is ready to play. That the ACL surgery went great, he healed right, he just wants to get back on the field. But once it got reported by the Dallas Cowboys that his knee is not where it should be, and he possibly won't be ready to either playoffs or after this season, in my head I thought, why, why would we give him so much money if he may not even play this season? That logistically doesn't make any sense, and nor does it make sense on a business standpoint, because you're ask, he's asking for a long-term deal. He wants to set roots, which is respectable. Uh, you know, he has a kid. You know, wants to you know wants to be somewhere permanently or at least for a long period of time, grow some roots. But also, you can't you cannot also tell these people uh, these owners that you're ready to, you're ready to play. But when a doctor looks at you and says you're not ready to go yet. And now we're like, well, you want mon you want all this money out of me, you want a long-term deal out of me, but I you're not even going to play. And that's what's the concerning part with the Odell situation. Now, I know he kind of hinted, I believe, at the Barbershop podcast or whatever show that is, he hinted that, oh, me and Saquon have unfinished business. Do I think that hurts the Dallas Cowboys? Absolutely not. Do I think T.Y. Hilton getting signed hurts the Dallas Cowboys getting Odell? Uh, I don't think so. And like I said earlier, as I stated, T.Y. Hilton's really ready to play right now. T.Y. Hilton is ready to play. Odell Beckham is not ready to play. And even if we bring him in, say he'll be ready in five weeks, does that mean he's ready to do a workout in five weeks? Or does that mean he's ready to put on a uniform and go get some catches in five weeks? Because that's two different, two different uh, scenarios there. Because if he's ready to work out, that means that man's not going to probably get in a uniform anytime soon this season. But if he's ready to play, then he's going to help us in the Super Bowl push. But as of right now, with T.Y. Hilton, it just helps out. And also another thing I want to add that it helps out with is that it's going to help with in case any of the wide receivers goes down. In case, you know, Michael Gallup, not gone wood, any of these guys go down. Michael Gallup, James Washington gets injured again. Something happens to CD. Noah Brown gets injured. We have another wide receiver. That way we're not going into playoffs thinking... Oh no, we're 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 possibly not going to do well. And it's like no. Now we have a wide receiver who we've seen his resume. We've seen what he can do. We just need him to be able to produce right now. And he, we don't need him to be number one wide receiver because they have C.D. Lamb for that. But with T.Y. Hilton coming in, like I said, veterans in, in the locker room help out the younger guys. 
And also just to help out the team, maybe like maybe like once in a while make that one big play to get us the first down or the game-winning touchdown. Because T.Y. Hilton can do that. But with that, he does not need to be a star. We just need him to help. And even though our wide receiver duo is great right now, it's looking good, you can never get too much help on the wide receiver platform. So I will end with that one. Next up on some news, the Heisman Trophy winner has been announced uh, the, over the weekend. Caleb Williams wins it over Max Duggan. CJ Stroud and Stenson Bennett. Now, I want to talk about the other candidates before I get to uh, Caleb. So, Stenson Bennett. Here's why I do agree he didn't win it. And it's two words complete team. Georgia has a complete team. Like, there is no denying about that. He did not have to put the team on his back. He did not have to worry about making the game winning drive. He never had to worry about, you know, well, if my defense doesn't get him, I got to score in one minute hopefully get the ball back and go from there. Just a couple things from the team perspective. His defense for Georgia is a top 10 defense. His offense is top 20 in rushing and passing. So that means that offense can move and it's one of the best in the country. Some of the select best. And his defense is top tier. Especially in the SEC, that, that's impressive. So he has a complete team. And also just looking at his stats from the season, he is 11, uh, he's 11th in passing yards with 3,425. He was 42nd in touchdown and touchdown passes, but he was sixth. Uh, he had six to six interceptions and he was 37th. He, I believe he was tied for 37th. So those numbers sound good, but when you have a complete team like that, you, you you're not gonna get the Heisman. If if he was carrying the offense and the defense wasn't that good, I think that you can make the argument. But Stenson Bennett had a, he has a good defense and he has a great he has a top running game and a top passing game. So he shouldn't have been picked to win the Heisman because of that, because of how complete his team is. It's like an AJ McCarron thing. What happened almost a decade ago? He got a Heisman uh, a Heisman pick, but he wasn't the main reason why Alabama was winning. It was because of their running backs and their defense, and because Nick Saban's a good coach. That's the, kind of the same idea. Now, I'm not saying Stenson Bennett is A.J. McCarron. I'm just saying it's around the same aspect of what's going on with that. And like I said, complete team. The numbers don't really stand out to me. He's a great passer, don't get me wrong, but that's why I don't think he should have won it. Next, we're going to go to C.J. Stroud. So some of the numbers that C.J. Stroud had is 3,340 yards, uh, passing yards, which was 15th in, in NCAA. He was tied for first with 37 passing touchdowns. He was tied with Caleb Williams on that one. And he was 37th in, <clears throat> in interceptions with, with only six. Now, here's why I don't think he won. is because he decreased from his numbers. I, I remember I kind of saw some of his numbers from last season. He, was, um, he had 4,000, I believe, the season prior passing yards. He didn't win the Heisman. This year, he only had 3,000 passing yards. And I also think, here's uh, another thing is that um, C.J. Stroud had some games where he wasn't good. A big one would be probably be the Northwestern game. I believe there might have been some weather issues with that one, but he didn't play good and neither did the defense, and it, wasn't, it just wasn't going for him that game. I want to say another one that was probably the Heisman takeaway or the one that took the Heisman away from him would probably be Michigan because he got outbeat by CJ, uh, J.J. McCarthy and the Michigan Wolverines. He got outplayed by the defense, the running backs. Everyone kind of outplayed him. He had some impressive numbers for the game, but it's also that it, it took it away from him. There's no argument on that one. If he would have beat Michigan, I believe that would have been his Heisman winning game. That would have got him the Heisman, but it he didn't, and it got him out of the playoffs, and they luckily got in because USC lost. 
so they had to rely on possible losing. But with that, though, he did put up a good season. He did have a great year. I kind of figured he may not win the Heisman because of some of the games where he didn't do so well. So we're going to have to wait and see what CJ Stroud does. I don't know if he'll declare for the draft or not. But, I mean, maybe next year if he stays, he could probably, I think he'll win the Heisman next year. Just because he is an impressive quarterback, he can pass the ball. But there were some games where he just wasn't the best out there. Next, Max Duggan. Now, if the Heisman Trophy was based on how much heart you put into this season, Max Duggan ran away with the Heisman. Hands down, Max Duggan runs away with the Heisman Trophy win. Because just the Kansas State game alone should prove to you, when he carried that TCU offense on his back, ran 90-plus yards down the field, that's determination. You, that is something coaches out there that know this. You can't teach heart. That is one thing you cannot teach. And you can ask any you know, uh, peewee football coach, high school, college, NFL professionals, anything like that. You cannot teach heart. That's heart from Max Duggan. And that's hands down what it is. Now, if you want to look at his numbers, he passed for 3,321 yards, which was 16th in, in college, uh, at all college, in FBS. He had 30 touchdowns, which was 12th to only four interceptions, which was tied for 12th as well. So he played relatively well. And here's why he either should have won it or I understand why he was second. TCU, in the beginning of the season, in the preseason rankings, was projected to be seventh in the Big 12. They weren't even top five. And he wasn't even supposed to play. They had another quarterback, but he, after his, I believe his heart, uh, he had a heart issue, and then he got the starting job. Next thing you know, He's in the Big 12 championship game, and they are undefeated. He got them there. Even though there was maybe like a couple games where he should have played a little better or like the offense should have moved a little bit more, you can't deny how much heart he had. And that's probably one of the things that you'll never take away from Max Duggan this season. I believe he won the O'Brien Trophy for best quarterback in the country. But he, I believe if it was based on heart, solely heart, that's Max Duggan's award. Because the way he played this season with the chip on his shoulder – uh, carrying the TCU offense when TCU needed a big play on offense. He was the guy that got it for them He was the guy that tucks his shoulder and runs people over, you know, he needed the big pass play You needed a 90 a 90 plus yard run. That was your guy and that was Max Duggan right there this season But we got to go to the winner now Caleb Williams just to kind of give his numbers He had 4,075 yards, which was fourth in FBS he was tied for first with C.J. Stroud with 37 touchdowns to only four interceptions, which was tied with Max Duggan. Now, he had a lot of passing yards because Lincoln Riley's offense is set for him to succeed. We saw it with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts when he was there. We saw how successful that offense can go. So I'm not surprised that Caleb Williams had all those touchdowns and all those yards. I'm really not. But I think this is where the Heisman Trophy went to him. This was that Heisman winning game, which was the game against Notre Dame when he came back and won at the end to knock them off and to blast them into the poll ratings. That was his Heisman, that was his Heisman game right there. And that's what C.J. Stroud needed. He needed that Heisman game-winning drive to get, him the, to get him the trophy. Caleb Williams had that more times than C.J. Stroud did. And more times than Stenson Bennett did. Now, not more times than Max Duggan. I will admit that because Max Duggan had some big games when he brought 
the uh, TCU team against Baylor, brought them back, and kicked the game-winning field goal in the last five seconds of the game or so. And that was miraculous on its own. He knocked off UT, when, and their de- obviously his defense held. Uh, was it, The TCU defense was able to hold B.J. Robinson and Quinn Ewers, but he did enough to outplay them. We saw the heart he had against Kansas State. He came back in the beginning of the season against Kansas State and came back from, I believe, like a 28-13 uh, deficit and came back and won the game. So I would say Max Duggan's up there with Caleb Williams. I believe Max Duggan had more Heisman game-winning drives and Heisman moments than Caleb Williams did. But obviously, I think the Notre Dame game was definitely the one that solidified for Caleb Williams. I thought what would hurt him, honestly, or what was going to hurt was the Pac-12 loss against the Utah Utes. I thought that would have hurt him because I know he didn't do so well in that game. And I thought that would have hurt his Heisman his Heisman standings. But I guess with the committee, they kind of went the same logic what they did with TCU, was that you can't penalize him for one bad game that he had uh, compared to the rest of the season. And he was the most uh, outstanding player this season. So, But congratulations to you, Caleb Williams, and the Heisman Trophy winner. That's much success to you and, U- and USC. Next topic of the day. I want to go over some of the picks I got. So I got 9 out of 12 picks correct from last week, which I was very surprised about. I believe I got the Dolphins wrong, the Buccaneers game wrong, and I'm blanking who the last game was, but we'll get to them in a second. We'll get to the, some of the games. And to kind of move on right now is we're going to talk about my Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys pulling off the win 27-23 at the end of the the game, Dak Prescott, 98-yard, game-winning drive. But I'm not going to celebrate too much right here. I'm not. I'm happy the Cowboys won. I, hands down, I'm happy the Cowboys won. But I'm not going to let them off the leash here. Here's why. We struggled against a 1-10 Houston Texans, which is not good. It isn't. Now, their head coach is a defensive-minded coach, which is fine. But their offense was moving. I believe they had 114 rushing yards alone with uh with pierce before he got injured and then uh dreskel who was running all over the place with their quarterbacks and then throwing in davis mills they're kind of keeping that two that two quarterback combo together and that's what was killing the dallas cowboys defense i will give the texans credit though they were able to hold michael parsons because michael parsons i believe only had like one qb hurry the whole game and you could just tell he was taken out of the game because he had no effect he wasn't getting to davis mills he wasn't getting to dreskel there was hardly any sacks in that game. They took the defensive line out of the game. And I think that was the biggest killer for Dallas is because that's their front. That's their front four, and that's their strongest, I believe, in the whole defensive unit. Aside of the line, I would say the linebackers are probably second. But that defensive line gets to the quarterback, which takes off a lot of pressure from everyone going backwards. But they didn't get to the quarterback this game. And they saw how effective you can be when the defensive line cannot get there. And that's what's kind of the concerning part for the Dallas Cowboys is that they are going to be struggling if they cannot get to the quarterback because then that gives the QBs going in the playoffs or whoever we're going to play or say the Philadelphia Eagles coming up soon, it's going to give them time and they're going to be able to pass, especially with injuries to Anthony Brown and the corners going down. We're running out of corners. So I think that the defensive line is going to have to go back into the go back into the into the film the film room, figure out what they need to do because they got to get to the quarterback, especially with Kelvin Joseph being able to get burnt by other wide receivers. Stephon, uh, Trayvon Diggs can only do so much as one corner. The safeties are good enough in coverage, but obviously they can be burnt. But I think the weakest link in that whole defense is the corners, aside of Trayvon Diggs. 
Trayvon Diggs is can lock wide receivers down. He can get the interception. Quarterbacks respect that. But Kelvin Joseph, they do not respect. That's why they kept throwing the ball his way. He had a couple big, a uh, couple good plays, but it's not enough, especially going up against probably top uh, better offenses like in the Philadelphia Eagles or the Buccaneers. Maybe we're just gonna have to wait and see on that. And the next problem I had was with Dak Prescott and how he played. He he led a game-winning drive. I understand that, but he had two interceptions in a t defense that. He should have been able to beat. In the beginning of the game, it was going good, going according to plan, driving down the field, and then everything went haywire. So I do appreciate that Dak Prescott was able to keep his composure to get the offense down the field and get the game-winning touchdown, but we should have not got to that point. And I think another thing that the Texans did was take CeeDee Lamb out. I believe CeeDee Lamb only had like four or five catches that whole game for less than 100 yards. So they took CeeDee out. They kind of were able to stop Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. So I'll give the Texans that kind of credit. And they were able to rush Dak Prescott enough to either make uh, sloppy decisions or I believe one of the interceptions was the defensive lineman hit the arm of Dak and it threw off the trajectory of the ball. And it gave the Texans good field position. And I think that's where the problem is lying with Dak. Either like he can't get to his reads fast enough or someone is getting there. That's kind of more of an offensive line problem which we're going to have to see now with Terrence Steele being out because he's injured. I believe he has a torn MCL or ACL. I'm not sure, but he's out the rest of the season. So they're going to have to fix stuff on the offensive line with that, which is why they brought in Jason Peters. Maybe they'll put him at right tackle. Uh, Tyler Smith can still be at left. And then whenever Tyrone Smith comes back, we're just going to have to wait and see. But that was my concerns for the Dallas Cowboys. I still will give him praise, though. Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott was able to get downfield and move the ball and complete a touchdown to win the game so congratulations how about them cowboys but don't do it again next up one of the bigger shockers of i believe um this past weekend the 49ers and the buccaneers game first of all who the heck is brock purdy he is mr irrelevant and apparently he's out dueling tom brady and i'm not understanding this i'll get to brock in a minute but i want to talk about tom brady real quick since we're talking about the goat right now i think we all just have to accept he's not playing well He's not. I know uh, there was a lot of analysts out there trying to give him a pass about he's going through a divorce with Giselle. And I get that. You know, no one in the world would want to go through that. And then it just mentally, emotionally takes a toll on you. But that was in the beginning of the season. And then after it finally got finalized, he kind of went back to being a little normal. But I, everyone gives him the credit for the Saints game. He came back. Brady's back. He pulled off the big, uh, he pulled off a comeback to the, to the Saints. The Saints aren't that good. They're they're honestly not. I believe they're third or fourth in their division. They're they're somewhere there. I mean, either way, in that whole in that whole division, it's a real close race with five five or six wins. But they barely were able to get points on the board. Brady's barely able to move the ball. I believe the Buccaneers are last in rushing this whole season. They're second in interceptions thrown. So there's obviously something wrong. And this defense for the 49ers just absolutely torched. Tom Brady in that offense. I know there was a couple plays where it was bad. It was just either underthrown, overthrown, interceptions. It, it just wasn't good for Tom Brady. And I think the season is just not his best. And everyone's just going to have to accept that. I understand that he's, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. We'll never take that away from his past accomplishments. But this season right now, he is not playing like the best quarterback in the NFL, nor is he playing like the GOAT. And we're not sure what it is. We're seeing videos of him getting frustrated at people. We see videos of him throwing tablets, smashing tablets. And I believe, I think somebody had a report that he brought in 
like skill skill positions to kind of go over different schemes he wants to do, some adjustments to the offense, but it's not working, and we're not getting that. Now, do I think Brady was all the blame? No, I don't think so. I really don't. Because he doesn't play defense. The defense did not do good. The defense got torched by Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy. But I think Tom Brady has to have some kind of blame here. Because he did throw, let me see here, he threw, he threw two interceptions. He did. He didn't play good. He wasn't moving the offense down. I believe there was one play that I thought was really good, and that was the Mike Evans play that went for a touchdown. But it got called back because of a holding call, which is unfortunate. You can't do anything about that. I know their offensive line is not the best either. But when you're Tom Brady and you're the GOAT, there's that level of expectation of you can do this. You know, you've, you're you down. You can at least try to make the comeback, and he didn't. And he hasn't done that this season. He lost to, I believe, P.J. Walker. He's lost to some not good teams. And obviously, he lost to a really good team th uh, this week. But he, he's not having a great season. And I think we have to kind of come to terms with that. This isn't his season. This shouldn't um, derail his legacy. But obviously, this season is going to have a taint on him because... We, now we've seen that he is vulnerable. He is playing like his age. I believe there was one throw that he made a Julio Jones. Julio Jones was wide open, but it got really underthrown, so he had, so the ball was incomplete. So I think Tom Brady is is now his age is starting to catch up to him. I wouldn't say he's washed, but I will say he's starting to struggle, and it's becoming evident now. Now moving on to the 49ers. Brock Purdy... How was he Mr. Irrelevant and where did this guy come from is my top questions. Because after Trey Lance got hurt, like, okay, we got Jimmy G for the 49ers. Jimmy G gets hurt. Now they're like, well, what are we going to do? And Kyle Shanahan kept saying, like, I'm I'm happy with Brock Purdy. I'm a role Brock Purdy. And I was like, okay, I mean, you can do well against the practice teams, whatever, whatever. But he came in. Uh, I mean, he, he finished the day with not many passing yards, but he still came in and owned that offense. He was moving on that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. He was moving all over the place. I believe he finished the game with 180 passing yards with two touchdowns through the air and one on the ground. Now, I will give him, I will say this though, Christian McCaffrey did also have a good game. He had 119 yards and one touchdown. So I believe that combination was just, you know, that, that's gonna that's just going to work out for you either way. Uh, however you want to look at it with Christian McCaffrey having a big game. But with Brock, it's just a big shocker because this guy, he's a rookie. He's a hes a rookie. He just got drafted. He was the last pick in the draft. And now he's showing everybody he's not mystery relevant. He's Mr. Relevant. Because he's going to walk around telling people, I just outplayed the greatest quarterback to ever play. You know? Now, he might be having a downward season, but he's, you can't take that away from him. He still did really well. He was able to run the offense and keep it moving. He made right reads. I believe there's only like a couple that were not that great. They were like, okay, that's a little bit of a rookie mistake. But he didn't throw any interceptions. I believe there's one that got called back. But um But Brock, I mean, keep keep up the good work, man. That that's that's impressive. He just came in, you know, well, he was signed off the practice squad. I'm sure he didn't expect to play this season, but he was ready for it. And he went up in his uh, NFL debut against probably the best quarterback to ever do it. And I think he was like the only quarterback to beat Tom Brady in his NFL debut, which is a big milestone for him. So congratulations to you, Brock Purdy. And I mean, we'll see what else he's got. That's all I can really say. Next up, I got, I'm got. i talking about the Rams and the Raiders game. Baker Mayfield did it. Uh, like I said, he, he played a fantastic. 
Um, 48 hours notice. We got to keep that in mind here. 48 hours notice. He flew on a plane from Carolina to the West Coast and then learned a whole offensive playbook or tried to. Now, you can see in some in some of the game on Thursday night, you can see that Sean McVay is obviously telling him, like, hey, like, if this is the this is the coverage. If it's a zone, look here. If that option's not open, it's here. Or if it's man, look here and here. Um, he was obviously helping him. He's it's forty it's forty eight hours notice. He just got off a plane. He's still living in the same hotel. He just checked hotel. He just checked in twenty four hours prior, and he came in a, with a ninety eight yard drive to win the game. Now I think this is gonna be evident that maybe he this maybe it was right. Maybe it was Carolina. And hit their dysfunctional organization they're having right now with all the coaching changes. Because I think even Baker said in, the, in his post game interview that you know how did you learn some of the offense? He you know he he was right. He had four different coordinators in four years with the Cleveland Browns, and then he had a whole change in Carolina. Then Matt Rule got fired. So, I, congratulations to Baker Mayfield on the win. I know he definitely needed it this season. He definitely needed a win, and coming in like that with 48 hours notice, it's probably gonna be one of the top moments in. The NFL this season and probably probably for the uh, probably for the previous years for a couple years now because that that's very hard if you're a wide receiver or running back I mean you can always pick it up and kind of learn it but learning the quarterback position you have to learn all these coverages and all these different plays that's impressive to do and congratulations to my man Baker Mayfield congrats to you but now I'm gonna go to the Raiders on this game the Raiders don't have an excuse I believe on why they lost they they really don't. When you compare them to Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield doesn't have his best player on offense. In Cooper, in Cooper Cup, he's out. Al Robinson was gone. Aaron Donald was not there. Cam Akers fumbled the ball going into the red zone. Their defense isn't the best. Their offensive line is a joke. Because how many holding calls they got and how many times Max Crosby got there and Chandler Jones, they, the Raiders don't have an excuse. They have most of their, they're most of their key players. On the team and what I'm thinking is the problem is that they're relying too much on Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs because that's basically their offense either throw it to Devontae Adams or give Josh Jacobs the ball now Josh Jacobs is a is a great running back he's probably top 10 arguably top 5 running back in the NFL right now and he's gonna get his money for sure someone's gonna give him a contract especially how big of a season he's had Devontae Adams we've seen what he can do like He's he's one, he's probably the best wide receiver still in the league, but when your offense solely re, uh, revolves around two players, that's a recipe for disaster. Because when you take both of them away, I believe Josh Jacobs got hurt, and Devonte Adams started getting double coverage. What are you gonna do if you're Derek Carr? You need to open up the playbook, uh, Daniels, because you you just have to. You got to be able to use more people in this offense, and over time, def office, obviously defenses are gonna figure you out. Either cover Devonte Adams or stuff Josh Jacobs. That's going to be everyone's keys to victory against the Raiders. And they have no excuse why they lost to Baker Mayfield, who came in on 48 hours notice. He barely even knows the team. I think the only people he knew was like Matthew Stafford, uh, Wolford, and like maybe, maybe one offensive lineman. I'm not really sure. But they don't have an excuse. Everyone was predicting that the, that, that defensive, defensive line was going to get to Baker. And they did. They really did. But the Raiders don't have an excuse. They really don't. They're supposed to be on paper probably the best one of the best teams in the AFC. They are not playing like that. And I think the Raiders are going to have to go back into the offseason wondering what happened and what went wrong. Because that you cannot do that with their offensive line that's a joke. 
They don't have their, the best player in the NFL in the defense with Aaron Donald. They have a quarterback that doesn't even know the offensive playbook. There's no excuse. There honestly isn't. Like, what excuse do you have for the Raiders? And the answer is none. There is no excuse for the Raiders right now, and they're not playing up to their potential. And that's a, that's a bad sign with Mike McDaniels coming in. He's supposed to be the new innovative head coach with, you know, from the Bill Belichick tree, and it, it's not working out. And I think they're going to have to go into the next into the offseason wondering what's wrong. I don't think they'll fire McDaniels, but they got to think of something. Because just relying on Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs is not going to be enough. The next game that caught my eye was the Cardinals and the Patriots game. Now, obviously, the Cardinals and the Patriots game caught my eye because Mur uh, Kyler Murray, as I said earlier, tore his ACL. Speedy recovery to you, Kyler. But here's the thing. The Patriots were able to... And take advantage of no Kyler Murray on that team. They're able to force two turnovers, an INT, and a fumble uh, from the, Carol the Cardinals offense. And James Conner got a touchdown. They did, on paper, decent enough. But obviously, the Cardinals didn't do enough to pull off the win against the Patriots. Now, the Patriots have a, str the Patriots have a strong running game. Uh, obviously, Matt Patricia is the head coach, and he's the offensive coordinator. Which I don't think is a good idea. I think that the Patriots need to get another offensive coordinator because it is pretty evident on how their offensive scheme is, which is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, punt, run the ball, throw, run the ball, punt. It's not a recipe for disaster, and nor is it innovative or unique, especially when you're going up against defenses that can, if you're going to go up against like tough defenses like the Buffalo Bills or anybody like that, you're not going to have a fun time if you have basic offensive plays. They need to find an offensive coordinator in the offseason. That's probably going to be their first thing on their agenda. Matt Patricia needs to go back to defense. He can coach defenses, hands down. He's a good defensive coordinator, learning under Belichick. But offense, no. Like, get him out of the offensive tree. Get someone else. Hey, maybe if Cliff Kingsbury gets fired, maybe you want to hire him. Who knows? But that's just my criticism on the Patriots right now. They got to get another, they got to get an actual offensive coordinator, not Matt Patricia. They need to get someone that knows offense, not someone that's learning on the fly because he's under because he worked with Belichick. Just because you work with Belichick does not mean you can do anything, everything you can. So that's a little bit of my of my thing going with the Patriots and the Cardinals game. All right, second to last game that caught my eye was the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Titans. The Jacksonville Jaguars are up are on the cup on the uprise right now. Trevor Lawrence outplayed Tannehill. He had 368 passing yards and three touchdowns. Compared to Ryan Tannehill, who had 254 passing yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. First to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm happy for them that Trevor Lawrence is working out. I never had a really doubt that Trevor Lawrence was going to work out or not, just because I know how good and skillful Trevor Lawrence is. We've seen it at Clemson. He won a national title. He's a good quarterback. I just think the Jacksonville Jaguars are just not a good organization. I think the Khan family that owns the needs to start focusing more on the field than focusing on Tony Khan's AEW promotion that he's running for his wildest dreams. I think the Khan family needs to focus on what's making the money, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, with Dougie P coming in, obviously he has he's a, he was a lot better of an upgrade than Urban Meyer last year, and obviously you can see it. They're in the bubble. They could possibly make the playoffs. They're not that far from the Titans. They can catch the Titans. They're honestly not that far. And if they had the tiebreaker, the Jags might get it. And they're not out of the wild card either. Especially, this is a key thing, the Jacksonville Jaguars forcing four turnovers 
on the Titans. They were able to get two fumbles out of Derrick Henry. That's right, King Henry got forced two fumbles. So I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have that recipe to be successful. I think they just need a little bit more help, you know, maybe on the defensive front and maybe on the offensive line to make it easier. But now we can see Trevor Lawrence's potential. He can play like a top quarterback. He can get the yards. He can make the reads. He can get the touchdowns. The defense can force turnovers. They just need to do it more on a consistent basis. Now, Titans. Obviously, Derrick Henry had a great game. He had over 100 yards rushing, but it's not enough. It really isn't. Two fumbles is what hurt them the most because they're turning the ball over to them, and then Ryan Tannehill with an interception, and I believe somebody else had a fumble, and that, that's a recipe for disaster. You have four turnovers, you're more than likely going to lose the game. And they can't do that, especially close to playoff season because they, are, they have a tight lead in their division. But now with the Jacksonville Jaguars chopping the blocks, now you're going to run into the problem. Now you may not make the playoffs. You may make wild card, but you're not going to win the division. So I think the Jackson, the um, Tennessee Titans need to look into that, and they need to make sure they polish up all those things. Now, also another thing that I kind of heard earlier was, does it, is it time to go to Malik Willis? No, I don't think so. Because if you take away the turnovers, Ryan Tannehill didn't play a bad game. Like I said, 254 passing yards and two touchdowns. You take away at least the interception, maybe the fumbles. That's not, he, he didn't play bad. It's not that he, you know, was throwing three interceptions and only 100 yards passing. So I don't think it's time to go to Malik Willis yet. I don't think so. I don't think it's time to resort to the young to the young buck just yet. Now, I think that he should actually help Malik Willis. Yes, because I know earlier this season when they drafted him, he wasn't, he kind of made it clear he wasn't going to help him. I think he should because in case he gets injured, they have someone that knows what they're doing going in there. But I mean... That's Ryan Tannehill's business, but I don't think it's time yet to go to Malik Willis. Now, if this play continues, like he's turning over the ball and all that, then I would start considering maybe going to Malik Willis, but I wouldn't go to it right now. It's not time to press the panic button. If you take away the turnovers, I think it's a different ball game. but congratulations to the Jacksonville Jaguars for knocking off the Titans, and we'll, say, we'll have to see what's going on in Jacksonville. Now... The next game, the Lions and the Vikings. This was probably one of the bigger shockers. It's actually one of my upset picks I had this week. I had the Vikings actually beating, uh, the Lions beating the Vikings. I'm sorry about that. Now, Kirk Cousins did not play a bad game. So we cannot say it was Kirk Cousins in this one. Kirk Cousins passed for 425 yards and two touchdowns. And what's it called? Justin Jefferson had like, I believe, 200 yards receiving. Here was the problem. Dalvin Cook was not effective. That was the problem. Their defense is not the greatest either. Their defense is is just being torched this season. Their offense, they clearly have a good offense. Kirk Cousins is not uh, is not doing bad like everyone thought. Justin Jefferson is is a great contributor along with Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. But Dalvin Cook's not r running well right now. As you can see, I think he only had like not even 50 yards of rushing. I think he had like 20-something. And he also had a fumble. And it doesn't help that TJ Hawkinson also fumbled the ball too. So they gave up two turnovers to the Lions. But now Jared Goff. Jared Goff had a really good game. 330 passing yards with three touchdowns. Like I said, the defense forced two fumbles. And they're right there on the bubble to make the playoffs. They're not out of it, everybody. The Lions can make the playoffs. They're not out. Dave Campbell's co uh, coaching scheme, how however is going on in Detroit, it's working. Because the defense is getting turnovers. Jared Goff is playing good. I believe uh, DJ Clark Jr. was the one that got a touchdown. And also Jameis, uh, Jameis Williams, the Alabama Wide receiver who had a gruesome injury, got his first catch in the NFL as a touchdown. So good for you to that wide receiver. But the Vikings, they're not going to lose their spot in two. Not yet. Because the 49ers are on their tail. 
the 49ers are right there at their door, and I don't think they want to go to three, in th into the three seed, over uh, and lose it to the 49ers. I, I really hope they don't, because I think they're they're playing uh, incredibly well. I think the difference between the the Vikings and the 49ers right now is the defense, and you can clearly see that. So the Vikings are going to step it up on defense. they got to figure out a way to stop teams, because when you come playoff time, and you're going to have to play against those top offenses like the Philadelphia Eagles or like the Dallas Cowboys that they saw earlier this season, their defense cannot stop the Dallas Cowboys. And they couldn't stop the Detroit Lions this past week. So they're going to have to figure out something on defense. Because obviously offense is not the problem for the Vikings with Justin Jefferson being able to get open and get 200-plus yards passing. Uh, Kirk Cousins can run the offense. They need a little bit more from Dalvin Cook. It's the defense. The defense is the problem. Because Jared Goff cook them that's it straight and simple so the vikings are gonna have to look at that defensively and they're gonna have to figure something out before playoff time all right so the last topic for today's uh podcast is week 15 pick em games so these are the teams i have that are probably gonna win this week and we'll just have to see my record for this week going in to so week 15 so first up for thursday night football the 49ers and the seahawks I'm going to go with the 49ers. That defense is way too good, and the Seahawks didn't play well against the Carolina Panthers, which is a way lesser team than uh, both the 49ers and the Seahawks. So I got the 49ers winning that one, especially if Geno Smith plays kind of as bad as he did against Carolina. They're not going to have a chance. That 49er defense is going to be too strong, and we're going to have to see the Brock Purdy show, see what he's going to do with Christian McCaffrey. But I got the 49ers winning on Thursday Night Football. Next up, I got the Colts and the Vikings. I got the Vikings win this one. The Colts are right now gonna, are probably throwing in the towel, saying we're just going to have to wait till next season. We'll just have to see where we're at in the draft pick spot. So I got the Vikings winning that one. They get the bounce back. Lions and the Jets. I got the Lions because of the horrible injury the Jets got with Mike uh, with Mike White. You know, speedy recovery to him and talk about heart um, with him too. You know, he had he had an injury to his ribs, came back in the game, injured him again, came back out, finished the game. And then had to go to the hospital. So my hat's off to Mike White because that's that's just that's just called dedication and heart. And that's what I said earlier in the podcast. You can't teach heart. That's heart right there. But with the Jets coming in without Mike White, I don't know if they're gonna turn to Joe Flacco or they're gonna turn to Zach Wilson. Um, that's gonna be up to the Jets. They may have to go with Zach Wilson just because he's younger. But we'll have to see. But I got the Lions winning that one. I think they're gonna continue off this really good game they just had. Ravens and the Browns. Mm. I'm going to have to go with the Ravens on this one just because I think that they're going to have to find their rhythm. I know they're down to the third string quarterback, but I think they have a strong enough offense to probably work around it. They got uh, J.K. Dobbins back along with uh, Gus Edwards and Kenyon Drake, who are a really good uh, re uh, running back trio. So we're going to have to see with them, but I don't think the Browns have it together yet with the Sean Watson. They're all still waiting to see where's the, the Sean magic that they've been, they're, they're paying all this money to at least going into the future, and they broke the quarterback market for him. So I don't think they're going to figure it out just yet, just because, as I said in the last episode, Deshaun Watson hasn't played in two years. So we're going to have to wait and see what's going to go on with that. But I got the Ravens winning that one. Next up, the Chiefs and the Texans. It, it's a no-brainer. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I don't see the Texans stopping Patrick Mahomes and that offense, uh, that makeshift offense that they had. If you guys saw the crazy play he did with McKinnon, that's probably what's going to happen to the Texans. Give me the Chiefs, probably over 20 points. The Dolphins and the Bills, I think the Bills will win this one. The Dolphins uh, losing to the Chargers uh, on Sunday night, I, I don't think they're going to be able to beat the Bills. I think the Bills are going to clinch their division uh, heading into Sunday. They're going to clinch it. I got the Bills winning that one. The Falcons and the Saints, that's the debut of Desmond Ritter 
against the Saints. You know what? I'm, I'm going to take the Young Buck coming in. I got Desmond Ritter with the Falcons. They could possibly pull it off against the Saints. Andy Dalton's not playing the best right now. Who knows if they'll ever go back to Jameis Winston? Who knows if they're probably going to go um, try to see what they can do? But I got the Falcons. Let's see what Desmond Ritter can do. I believe in the Young Buck. Let's see. We'll just have to see on Sunday. The Eagles and the Bears. I don't give the Bears a chance against the Eagles. They're too hot of a team right now. That offense with uh, that offense that they run with Jalen Hurts is just going to be too much for the Chicago Bears. Now, I do think the Bears may give them a run for their money because they're going to have to face a similar quarterback style in um, Justin Fields with how you know he runs around a lot. He can throw on the run. He's athletic. But I think the Eagles are still going to run away with it over the Bears. The Cowboys and the Jaguars. I think that's going to be probably one of the top games that's going to happen on Sunday just because the Jaguars are coming off a hot win against the Titans. The, the Dallas Cowboys kind of struggled with the Texans, you know, kind of sneaking away from one. But I got the Dallas Cowboys winning against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that defensive line is going to probably get to uh, Trevor Lawrence really fast, and I, don't, uh, and I really don't think that defense can hold the Dallas Cowboys offense as well. As long as they don't force any turnovers against the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys will be fine. But I got the Cowboys. I give it 27-14. I'll give that the score. The Cardinals and the Broncos, the battle of the not-so-great teams and the disappointing teams. I'll have to give – I'll take the Cardinals. I think uh, Colt McCoy – actually, no. You know what? I'll give Russell Wilson his due. I think he'll beat the Cardinals just because they're kind of in shambles right now. The Broncos are – and are in give up mode, but I think they can pull off the win against the Cardinals. You know what? I'll take Russell Wilson. Come on, let's ride into possibly winning this game. Next up, the Patriots and the Raiders. That's going to be an interesting game just because the Raiders are coming off a very disappointing loss, and the Patriots are coming off a good win. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give it to the Raiders just because I think the Raiders defense is gonna be all over Mac Jones. They're gonna be able to stop the run. Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, they're just Perry met the linebacker. They they have some defense. And I think that they'll figure it out a little bit on offense against the Patriots' defense. So I got the Raiders pro probably winning a close game in that one. I got then next up the Titans and the Chargers. I'm gonna go with the Titans. I think the Titans are gonna come off the rebound and try to solidify their spot on top of their division, especially coming off a, a bad loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know Derrick Henry's gonna want revenge. And honestly, I just don't see it in Justin Herbert. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people that love Justin Herbert. I honestly don't see it. And my biggest thing is wins. If he's that good of a quarterback, why are they in the wild card? I get that they're in the same division as Patrick Mahomes. That's fine. But they're trying to keep a wild card spot, or they're trying to get into the. I believe they're trying to get into the wild card right now, and they're not winning games. And I don't give Justin Herbert any more slides anymore because it was Keenan Allen and Mike Williams got hurt. It was this. It was this. And but they came back. They're starting to kind of get some momentum in. But I just don't see it because he had them last season. So. I'm not go I don't like the Chargers uh, right now. Justin Herbert, I'm not gonna take away he's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's gonna be he's not gonna be enough to beat Ryan Tannehill in that offense. So give me the Titans on that one. Next up, I got the Buccaneers game against sorry about that. Against the Bengals. Sorry. The Bengals and the Buccaneers. I got the Bengals. Joe Shiesty, Joe Icy, he's too much. Joe Burrow, he's gonna be way too much for that defense. And I don't see Tom Brady picking it up anytime soon, especially right now with how bad it is. That defense is picking it up uh, on the Bengals' side. Jamar Chase is going to be way too much just on his own, along with uh, Tyler Boyd and, uh, and T. Higgins. Crazy trio going in. I got I got the Bengals probably win that one 27-10. I don't really see the Buccaneers winning that game. All right, so then next, we got the Giants and the Commanders for Sunday night game. 
that that's a tough one. But I think the Commanders. I, I believe in the Commies. I I honestly believe in Tyler Heineke. I was a little skeptic with them with the Giants getting Saquon Barkley back, but kind of seeing how their offense is, it's Saquon Barkley or bust. That's kind of the Giants right now. It's Saquon Barkley or bust, and I think the Commies can do it. The Commanders are kind of trying to get themselves into the playoffs. They're not out, but they need to win this game. They can't afford another tie. Like That was absolutely ridiculous that they tied with the Giants. They can't afford another tie because then neither of them are going to get in the playoffs. And I, But I think the Commanders can do it. I think Tyler Heineke has, has that leadership in the locker room. He has that good connection with everybody that Carson Wentz didn't have. And he has that good connection with Terry McLaurin. The running backs are going to get it uh, get it right against this Giants defense, hopefully. But I got the Commanders winning that one. I'll give that one in overtime again. I'll give that one probably 27-24 in overtime. Lastly, the Monday night game, the Rams and the Packers. So it's going to be Tom – or not bad. I'm sorry about that. The other number 12 that's kind of disappointing this season, Aaron Rodgers and the Rams with Baker Mayfield. I'm going to pick Baker Mayfield this one. Just because he pulled off an incredible win against the Raiders, who have, a, I, I believe, a better defense than the Green Bay Packers. I honestly believe they have a way better defense. And he came in with 48 hours notice. Now we're going to see, with 11 days of him learning the offense, we're going to see what Baker Mayfield could do with Sean McVay and that, and that high-powered offense. Now, the offensive line is still in shambles. They don't have their great wide receivers, but uh, Skoranek was doing well. He was finding targets. He was getting people open. Cam Akers, as long as he doesn't fumble the ball. I know Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. He could pull a win out of his butt whenever he wants. But I think Sean McVay in the offense is going to be a little too much for that defense in um, the Green Bay. And also Jalen Ramsey's probably going to lock up most of the wide receivers that are in Green Bay. So give me the Rams winning that one on Monday night. But already, everybody, that'll wrap things up for the second episode of CAV Sports podcast. Thank you all for listening.